Good morning. That was super lame. Good morning. There we go. Hey, I'm Pastor Nate. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, just one more time, can you thank all the students for leading us today? And again, we want to say happy Mother's Day to all of you who are moms out there. Hope you feel special. I hope the, the children in your life or the adult children in your life are going to do something special for you today. Uh, if you're on notice, students, if you are just now thinking about it, uh, that is God's grace in your life. So think about that for the next, uh, don't think about it right now because think about the sermon right now. But after this, think about it, Okay. Uh, we're going to go before the Lord in prayer again. One, one thing before we do, just want to say uh, thank you to all that, that went with us for Go Week this week. We had hundreds and hundreds of you out serving in all kinds of places, things like uh, students who were, uh, were helping out with uh, parents, foster parents. We had a group all week serving at Sunday Breakfast Mission and Construction Project, all the way down to a little four-year-old that I was uh, serving with at, at Urban Promise, uh, washing uh, the, the classroom uh, with me. So it was just a really special, so many people served. And if you have a story you'd like to share, maybe something that God did in your heart or something you experienced, we'd love to hear from you. There's going to be an email this week that goes out, a little form that you can fill out so we can celebrate that, what God uh, did in and around our community. Remember, uh, this, is not, this isn't just like a check the box, I served the Lord this week. This is a catalyst. It's meant to stir in you more service and declaration and demonstration of the gospel in your life. So keep up those kinds of relationships. Next week, we're going to show a recap video of everything that, that God did uh, through that week. So you can stay tuned for that. Let's, let's bring our hearts before the Lord as we prepare to hear the word. Lord, as we just sang, um, we want to be able to run to you, run to our Father, in our time of need. And we are all needy here. You are the only one that's worthy. We are needy. And so we just lay aside today the things that we try to hold on to for approval or to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. We just lay that down and allow you to just speak to our souls here today in that place of humility. Lord, warm our hearts to be able to hear this life-changing truth from your scriptures this morning, that we'd walk out different. We'd walk out changed. For some of us, maybe even walking out for the first time, breathing eternally, eternal air, because of the power of your word today. So speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'd be willing to bet most of you, or maybe many of you, heard, about, heard or know of the YouTuber Mr. Beast, right? You guys know who Mr. Beast is? How many of you know who Mr. Beast is? Uh, if you don't know who Mr. Beast is, go talk to anyone like 20 and younger. They will know who Mr. Beast is. He is um, the second most subscribed channel on YouTube uh, at the moment. Um, he's probably most known for his extreme game shows that he does. I mean, just these elaborate, incredible game shows, kind of style videos where contestants can win crazy prizes and cash for doing all kinds of things. Um, my favorite, one of my favorite Mr. Beast video is when he rented out the second largest mall in America, the Dream 
American Dream Mall, which is in New York, uh, outside of New York City, and uh, he played this massive game of hide-and-seek in this mall with 100 contestants, and they had 10 hours not to be found. And uh, out of that, and by the way, he gave them $10,000. If they weren't found at the end of 10, 10 hours, they get $10,000. 32 people were not found. He gave away $320,000 that day. It's incredible. You can go watch it on YouTube. But the reason I mention that is I was thinking, you know, if I, if I was one of those contestants, like, not to brag, but like, I wouldn't have been found. I am a master at hide-and-seek. Any of you really good at hide-and-seek out there? Fit yourself, contort yourselves in all kinds of places. Breathe in places where you're like sucking out of a straw to breathe. That's me. That's how I roll when it comes to hide-and-seek. I've always been really good at it. Even to this day, you know, when we played hide-and-seek with our kids when they were a little younger... I, I had to, like, give myself up most of the time. I'd be hiding in place. I'd be in, like, a crawl space in the attic or down in the basement, covered up, barely breathing, sweating. My kids would be looking for me. And then eventually they, just, they would just give up. And they wouldn't say anything, of course. They'd just go start playing or watching TV. I'm like, is anyone coming? And I wonder if there's lots of you that are like me, very good at hide and seek. But here's the thing. I was not only good at hiding myself physically growing up, but I was really good at hiding myself spiritually. And many of you might be the same way. See, there was areas of my life that I didn't want anyone to see. There was parts of me that I didn't want anyone to know about, especially God knowing about. And so I would hide those things, and I'd hide them behind being the good Christian kid doing the right things. I'd hide them behind my personality. I'd hide them behind distractions. And as good as I thought I was at hiding these things from God and others, what I came to find out is that hiding just made me more and more miserable, piling on more and more exhaustion in my life. I felt trapped in my hiding. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because this is your story. Some of you are experiencing this right now. Some of you are hiding in plain sight from God in a church. And this experience, this emotion, this feeling that we're talking about today is the experience of shame. Of shame. Shame is the feeling that we need to hide from God and from others. Shame is a universal experience and emotion. It's across every culture. Everyone at some point in their lives or throughout their lives struggle with shame. And shame is as old as the origins of humanity. You remember one of the first stories in the scriptures, in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, after they sinned, what was their first instinct? It's to hide to cover themselves up from one another, and then to hide themselves from the living God. And we've been doing it ever since. And some of us have gotten really good at it. We hide all kinds of things. We hide sins and addictions. We hide insecurities. Some of us hide parts of ourselves we don't want anyone to know about, not even God to see. And you know that experience of feeling miserable because of it, feeling exhausted, and feeling trapped. 
But the good news, and the good news throughout this series antidote that we've been dealing with, is there is an antidote, a freedom, a rest, a security that is found in God's word, specifically in Psalm 32 that we're going to read and study here today. And what I found in my own life, what I discovered is that freedom and rest and security when I opened myself up before God actually resulted in the freedom and rest and security of opening myself up and being honest in front of others as well. When I stopped hiding from God, I realized I no longer have to hide from others as well. And this incredible Psalm of King David that we're going to see, this kind of gives us our outline. We're going to see three things about shame. We're going to see shame's purpose shame's trap, and then ultimately shame's antidote. So the purpose, the trap, and the antidote to shame. Let's first talk about shame's purpose. Because before we go too far, we need to realize that shame isn't all bad. There is a difference between what psychologists might call healthy versus toxic shame, Maybe you heard those phrases before, or maybe more biblically, we might say well-placed and misplaced shame. There's a difference between the two, and distinguishing them is really important, because shame is not all bad, just like physical pain isn't all bad. We learn this lesson from a young person when we're little toddlers, and we go and touch a hot stove, and it hurts our finger. Lesson learned. That pain is there to tell us there is something that is going to harm you something that is going to hurt you. And this is what David was experiencing, like an indicator light was going off in his soul. Look at verse four. For day and night, your hand, O Lord, was heavy on me. He knew there was, God was putting something in his life, like we might say a well-placed messenger to let him know that something was hurting. Something was wrong. He was hurting himself. He was hurting the people around him. And this is what David was experiencing. The conviction, we might say his conscience, was nagging him, and he saw it as God's messenger in his life. And that something that was wrong in his life, that something that was hurting him, was sin. Did you notice, if you look back, look at the first five verses of this psalm, if you have your Bibles open, you will see seven times in five verses David talk about his sin. And he uses three different words to describe that sin, all of which kind of nuance it. David is very clear, it is sin that is causing the shame. Now, what is the sin specifically? We don't know for sure, but most scholars would say that David was experiencing shame because of his incident, a heinous sin or set of sins of abusive power. David abused his power using Bathsheba for sexual gratification, and then he tried to cover the whole thing up. It resulted in murder of Uriah, Bathsheba's spouse. I mean, there's a whole cover-up that David got himself into. You can read that story in 2 Samuel 11 and 12. But suffice to say, he was experiencing well-placed shame. Shame was the right experience for David to feel. And so well-placed shame is whenever we feel a conviction when we violate God's standard, God's moral vision for our life. And that, of course, comes from the Holy Spirit's conviction. He convicts the world of sin, Scripture says. 
Now, this is critical to understand because the only way, really the only way to know the difference between well-placed shame and misplaced shame is if we have a universal standard of truth, which we believe is the scriptures. Without it, we were going to be lost to know what kind of shame am I experiencing? Should I experience this? Scripture is the standard. So let's talk about misplaced shame for a moment. Misplaced shame happens in three ways, at least three ways in our lives, and these are very common. The first is if we feel, we feel shame when there's no biblical reason for it. No biblical reason for it. We were asking the students, we did a survey a few weeks ago, what are things that they hide from other people? And one person says that I eat fruit in the shower. You know who you are. No. Maybe they were joking, maybe they were serious. Either way, it's, it's strange, but it's, it's, if they would feel bad about that, that is, that's misplaced shame. As far as I know, the Bible doesn't talk about eating fruit in the shower, <laughs> right? In fact, in some ways, it's very efficient. You know, you can clean it and, and eat it at the same time. I might actually try this uh, sometime. So misplaced shame, when we feel bad about something that Scripture does not tell us to feel bad about, if we try our best in a race and we come up, you know, short, and you feel bad, that's misplaced shame, right? You get the idea. If you have a, a disability of some kind that limits you in some way and you feel shame about that, that's misplaced shame. There's lots of that in our life. Here's the second one. Misplaced shame is when we feel shame from the opinions or the pressures of others. Of course, this, is, this runs rampant, doesn't it? This week, I was in the car with uh, my son, Nate, and we were traveling up 202 North here to come to the church, and the right-hand lane on 202 was backed up. Now, if you've driven there, you know why that lane gets backed up. It gets backed up because people are trying to uh, make a right-hand turn into the drive through line at McDonald's. <laughs> and I said to Nate, I said to my son, I said, those people should be ashamed of themselves. <laughs> But here's the reality. They shouldn't feel ashamed of themselves. That, I'm putting that burden on them. That's, that's my problem, not theirs. That's misplaced shame. When other people try to shame you for something you shouldn't necessarily be ashamed about, maybe your parents expect you to get into an Ivy League school, and you just, either that's not your desire, or you don't have the capabilities, and you feel shame for that, that's misplaced shame. That's somebody else's burden they're placing on you. Or have you experienced shame, maybe because you stand out because of your faith? Or because of the values and the morals come in conflict with those of the world? Of course, we experience that more and more. Our world is telling us we should be ashamed of ourselves for some of our stances that we take. We hold to an ethic of abstinence until marriage. We shouldn't feel ashamed of that. If you hold that, if you're a, a young person or you're single and you are exercising purity, that's nothing to be ashamed of. Don't let anyone ever shame you of that. 1 Peter 4, 16 says, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name Christ. When our values and our standards of what the world, uh, and when the, what comes in clash with the world, you stand firm and do not be ashamed. You wear that 
name Christ proudly. Here's a third way that sometimes we experience misplaced shame is when we've confessed our sin, but we still feel shame. Now, we'll talk about what confession is in a moment, but this is misplaced shame. That's the enemy's shame, because what the enemy is trying to do is come right behind well-placed shame, right behind the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and make you rub your nose in it. You know, you should feel really bad about what you did, and you should sit in it, and you should let it fester, and he'll convince you, he'll whisper, you can't really be forgiven. You're a failure. God can't love you. You need to sit on the, on the bench. You need to sit on the sidelines. And some of you remain on the sidelines for things that you have dealt with or should have been dealt with even years ago. That is misplaced shame. So this brings us then to shame's trap. What is the trap of shame? Well, I want to, see, I want to show you two words that David uses that encapsulate the trap of shame. Look at verses 2 and 3 where David said, blessed is the one, and then he says, in whom spirit there is no deceit. That's our first word. David was being self-deceived, and we're going to see that in a moment. Here's the second one. When I kept, here's our next word, silent, my bones wasted away through the groaning all day long. The trap of shame, according to David, is to hide in self-deception and silence. Self-deception and silence. See, in an attempt to hide his shame from God and from others, David deceived himself. He deceived himself. He wasn't living authentically before God, not even with himself. See, we are good. We are master self-deceivers. We can trick ourselves. Anytime we attempt to justify our sin, anytime we try to blame other people for our own actions, anytime we try to minimize what we did or explain it away, we are deceiving ourselves. Isn't this what our first ancestors did? God confronted Adam about his sin. What did he say? It's not my fault. It's the woman that you gave me, by the way. And then Eve says, it wasn't me. It was the talking serpent. See, we, we shift the blame to someone else. And maybe that in your life, that looks like this. You say, well, the reason I yell and the reason I'm violent sometimes is it's in my genes, you know. It's the family I grew up in. That's just how we are. You know, honestly, I can do this sometimes. The reason I can be, be I can lack gentleness and be too uh, sarcastic, I can say, well, that's just how the keelers show their affection. Doesn't work so well. Or how about, I've, I've worked really hard. I deserve more than I've been given. And so what's the big deal skimming a little bit off the top? Our company won't even recognize it. They won't even notice or my wife isn't responsive to me, you know, physically or sexually, and so it justifies my pornography habit. I've heard this one in counseling. This is the trap of shame. It's hiding in self-deception. David also says he hides, he hid in silence. Silence is our way to attempt to avoid even admitting that we have shame. And if you take a second to think about it, you will begin to come away aware of the ways that you attempt to hide your shame. Maybe you hide it between, behind faking it, right? Fake it till you make it. You fake 
confidence or fake happiness or health or fake through comedy in order to avoid the shame that you experience or through distraction or busyness or workaholism. You know, you just work really hard so you don't even have time to think about shame because when you slow down, it just shows up. Or maybe it's through getting attention or approval from other people. And so your constant addiction to social media, posting and getting likes and getting people to comment on how beautiful you look in your appearance might all be a way to just cover up that inward shame that you feel. Maybe it's through numbing yourself with substances or physically hiding yourself in isolation. These are all forms of, these are all shame traps that we use to hide our shame. And for all the attempts to hide his shame, David's experience, our experience, my experience, is that when we bury shame, friends, listen, you bury it alive and it festers and it grows. The more you try to heap on top, the more it just grows bigger and bigger and it makes you sicker and sicker. In fact, listen to how David describes it, verse three. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. David was experiencing physical and emotional exhaustion. He was making himself sick with shame. Do you know modern science has shown that linked this kind of shame to all kinds of emotional health issues, depression, body dysmorphia, eating disorders, self-harm, not just emotional issues, but physical issues, high blood pressure, susceptibility to sicknesses. Essentially, our bodies are screaming out like an indicator uh, light, help, there's hurt. Our bodies keep the score. Our bodies tell the real story. What's your body telling you about what's really going on with shame in your heart? And so whether we are trying to think it away or blame it away or drink it away or eat it away, shame will trap us in a brutal, exhausting prison. But there's freedom but there's freedom. There is a solution to shame. There's an antidote to shame that David leads us to. Do you notice in this this song, which it is a song, by the way, do you notice that in verse one and two, and then again in verse 11, do you see how he begins it and ends it? He says, blessed. That word just means happy, saying, I am so happy. I'm experiencing such joy. Look at verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, all you upright in heart. What's David saying? I have found freedom. I found freedom from my shame. I want you all to know about it. Friends, there is freedom to be found. There is joy to be found. How did David find it? Well, let's look at shame's antidote. In a phrase, we might say that David began finding freedom when he stopped hiding. Look at verse five. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. David stopped hiding from God when he began confessing his sin. He stopped hiding from God when he began confessing his sin. Now, what is biblical confession? 
let me tell you what it doesn't mean. Confession doesn't mean that we simply say what we did. Say that we did something, even saying that it's a bad thing. You see the imagery that David uses in verse 9? Look at verse 9. He says, do not be like the mule. You, I don't think we, we don't normally enjoy being compared to, well, I'll just say a mule, right? Why? What does he compare himself with a mule? Don't be like a mule. Why? Because the mule consents to something. He goes with you, not because he loves you, not because he really wants to be with you. Why does the mule come with you where you want to go? Because he has a bit in his mouth and it hurts And so when you pull him, he's going to come because it hurts. He's not coming out of the overflow of his love for you, out of pain, because he has to. He says, don't be like a mule. It's not from the heart. See, confession has to come from the heart. See, you can confess something and not really feel any differently about it because you're being forced to. Ever make your kids apologize? Kids ever make... Yeah, have your parents ever made you apologize? And you're like, say you're sorry to your brother, and you're like, sorry. <laughs> say, no, say it like you really mean it. <laughs> sorry. You know? It's like, ah, whatever. Not like that. Now, now, adults, our confessions aren't a whole lot better, are they? Do you ever hear sometimes the, I'm sorry that you were offended. <laughs> Which really means I'm not sorry for what I did. I'm, I'm sorry that you were upset about it. <laughs> That's not confession at all. That is just selfish justification. You say, oh, I didn't know we were going to do some marriage counseling here this morning, Pastor Nate. You can fake confession because you're sorry you got caught or embarrassed about the pain of it, and you say, oh, you know, quick quick, sorry so you can cover it up and forget about it and try to move on with your life. That's not confession. Here's what confession is. Confession is when we agree with God about our sin with genuine sorrow, with genuine sorrow. This is what David did. He agreed with God. He called it what it was. It is sin. He even used three different words to describe it. It is sin, sin, sin. He allowed the light of God to expose his sin that he was trying to keep in darkness. And when we expose our sin to the light of God, it strips away all the excuses. It strips away the finger pointing, all the little half-truths, all the little minimizations so that the light can begin to melt our hearts. And that's what his light does. It melts our hearts. It brings us to a place of what the Bible calls contrition, a softness of heart. We allow ourselves to feel what we have done. This is true confession. It's coming out of hiding, and it is the beginning of true freedom from shame. But listen... It is not the end of it. It's not enough. Have you ever come clean about something that you've been hiding for a while and then experienced the uh, psychological 
freedom that comes with that? Do you know that feeling, that liberation you feel? It's like, <gasps> like this burden has been dropped from you. It's a wonderful feeling that you have. Now imagine you were embezzling money from your company and you were experiencing this conviction in your soul. And you just, you, you feel so overwhelmed by it. You feel so trapped in it. And you say, finally, I, I'm going to confess this to my boss. I can't take it anymore. And so you confess the whole thing to them. Every, you confess to your boss everything that you've ever embezzled. And you're like, oh, I feel so good. I feel so light. I've been carrying this burden for so long. I feel amazing right now. Let me ask you a question. Did your confession make your embezzlement problem go away? Nope. It's not like poof, you know. You know, it's not, that's not how it works. Why? That's not how our justice system works. It's not how, you know, God created this world to be. You committed a crime. And here's the deal. Someone is going to have to bear the burden of your shame. Someone is going to have to face the consequences of that crime. Someone is going to have to pay the debt. Either you're going to pay it or your company's going to pay it, but somebody's going to pay it. It doesn't just disappear. And so your confession of sin to God, we might even agree that it was sin. You might even feel genuinely sorry and bad about it, but it's not enough because we have committed a cosmic crime against God, our creator, against his divine law. That's what the Bible calls sin. Someone has to bear the burden of your shame. Someone has to face the consequences of your sin. Someone is going to have to pay the debt. And that would be bad enough if you committed one sin. Here's the problem. Me, you, all of us, we have truckloads of sin. You just keep bringing it in. So friends, we are quite literally in a hell of a place. You say, Nate, this is exactly why I'm hiding. <laughs> you just proved it. So what do we do? Oh, friends, there's, there's freedom. Look at verses 1 and 2. David says, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against him. You say, wait, 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 hold on. How in the world could David say that about God? I mean, that's not how God works. You understand this, right? Like, God can't just, like, overlook our sin, like, oh, I'm going to pretend it wasn't there, any more than a just judge can overlook a crime in court. They can't just be like, I'm not going to, I'm going to pretend I never saw that. No, that's be unjust. God is too just to do that. So how in the world could David say that he's forgiven, that his sins are covered, that the Lord does not count him against him? It's because David knew about a divine legal substitute for his sin. David knew about a divine legal substitute 
for his sin. He knew that God promised to provide someone that would bear the burden of his shame, that God would provide someone who would face the consequences of his sin, that would pay the penalty of his debt ultimately in his place. He knew this because he had seen the shadow of it in the sacrificial system that God had set up, that there is a legal substitute for his cosmic crimes before God. He didn't know the name of the one who had come to do this, but we do. And what is his name? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And out of his deep love for us, Jesus took on the burden of, his shame, of our shame. The Bible says in the Gospels that Jesus was stripped bare before the world, the watching world, and the gaze of eyes. And he hung on a cross, bearing our shame as the divine legal substitute so that you and I could have our debts forgiven. This is why in that beautiful verse, 1 John 1, 9, that says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Notice it doesn't say that God is faithful and kind. He is kind, but that's not what it says. He is faithful and just. Why is it just? Because if Jesus covered our sin and paid for it already, it would be unjust of God to make us pay for it again. That would be paying, making us pay for it twice. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. It's dealt with. And so the only antidote for our shames, friend, is to stop hiding, that's our true confession, and to hide in the Lord. That is forgiveness. Hide under the blood of Jesus given for us on the cross. Under his sacrifice, we make Jesus our hiding place. That's forgiveness. This is why David could sing this song in verse 7. What a beautiful song. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. What beautiful imagery. Songs of deliverance. You know, we all have soundtracks of shame that we play on repeat in our, in our minds, don't we? You know what yours sound like. You know the songs. You know the, the set list. Songs that sound like this. You're too messed up to be loved. Songs that sound like this. You're, you're going to be just like your mother or just like your father. Who could possibly love you? You're a failure. How about this famous one? If people really knew what I was like, no one would accept me. You know those? Those are the soundtracks of shame. But Jesus is our hiding place. And in that hiding place, he gives us another soundtrack called Songs of Deliverance. And those songs, we need to crank all the way up to drown out the ones that are up here. And you, you know what those, those great hits are on that Songs of Deliverance soundtrack? You are forgiven. You are loved. You are accepted. I will never leave you. You are no longer condemned. I have washed you clean. You are free. You have a bright future. 
the soundtrack of deliverance. Some of us need to just crank that up because you're still condemning yourself for things. You are still not forgiving yourself for things that God has forgiven you a long time ago. So let me close with this. Let me close with this. Verse 6. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty water will not reach them. David starts preaching to others, and he's preaching to us today. And he's saying, go to him while he may be found. In other words, he's saying, there will come a day when it will be too late. And his offer for forgiveness is no longer on the table. And that day comes either when he returns or when you die is that moment. And friends, I'm pleading with you that you would not wait until that day because here's what will happen, what Scripture is very clear on. On that day when you stand before the judge, you stand before God, someone is going to have to pay for your debt. Someone is going to have to bear your shame. Someone is going to have to deal with the consequences of your sin. It will either be Jesus or it will be you. And the Bible's clear. The wages of our sin is death. And he's not just talking about physical death. He's talking about spiritual death, eternal separation from God and everything that is good and bright and beautiful forever and ever. I don't want that for you. God does not want that for you. We do not want that for you. Be sure that while the gift of grace is being offered, you accept it. Stop hiding. Bring your confession, the whole rap sheet, bring it to him. And hide in what Jesus has already done for you.